Hi friends, it's great to be with you on this sunny and snowy weekend here in Oregon. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Cedar Mill Bible Church. And today we are continuing in our journey through the letter of 1 Corinthians in a series that we're calling Undivided. Last week we looked at the end of chapter 1 and Paul Talk to us about the simple power of the gospel and the simple people of the gospel and our simple response to the gospel. Today, we pick up in chapter two. He's going to continue talking about some of the same things, but we need to know that, that Paul is talking about the simple, powerful gospel because what was driving this young, urban, entrepreneurial church in Corinth was a desire that many of them had to be smart and sophisticated and hip and happening in their city. In other words, these Christians wanted to be part of a cool church that was seen as cool in their world. And in ancient Greece, one of the ways that you did this, one of the ways that you were seen as cool was by having the latest philosophy or by attaching yourself to a new or smart or eloquent philosopher. And so these young Christians were doing this very thing in the church. That's why back in verses 10 through 17, they say, I'm with Paul, I'm with Apollos, I'm with Cephas, I'm with Christ. They're jockeying for position and status and coolness in the body of Christ. And then when the message of the gospel wasn't sophisticated enough for them, they started adding other philosophies and they started adding other philosophers to their resume. And last week we called this the gospel and, the gospel and some other ideology or theory or or philosophy. And so Paul today responds in chapter two with a series of questions to help them get back on track, to help reunite them and pull them away from all the division that this sort of gospel anding is causing them. Here's the questions he's going to answer for them and for you and me today. One, what is our message? Two, why does the world not understand it? Three, how is it that we understand it? Four, what should understanding produce in us? So here we go. Question number one, what is our message? Uh, Paul's saying, is the gospel just another fashionable message? Just another philosophy out there amongst many? Is it just another Sophia? That's the Greek word you'll remember for human wisdom. Do you really think that the God of the universe came to earth and was crucified on a cross just so that you can be impressive to other people? That's what Paul's saying to these young believers. Actually, Paul tells them the gospel message is going to have the opposite effect. They're going to not only think that you're not cool, they're going to think that you're foolish for following a crucified king. Furthermore, he says, if you think... I or any other preacher's main goal is to impress and help you look cool, then you have completely missed the point. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. Take me, for example, Paul is saying. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, 
but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. A couple things from this section. One, and, and maybe this is the most important. The goal of preaching is not that you're impressed with the preacher. The goal of preaching is not that you're impressed with the preacher. Friends, this does not mean that you can never come up to me or the other preachers here at Cedar Mill and give us a compliment. You can and you should. We need encouragement. We need to know that the message is getting through. But what we need to know is not that you are impressed with us, but that our preaching is drawing you close to Christ. A scholar I read this week said, what mattered to Paul was that men would not say, what a great speaker, but what a great savior. What a great cross. Friends, the goal of our church is not to be known for our innovation or creativity or coolness. And some of you are thinking, well, that's obvious, Pastor Dave. Hurtful, hurtful, but I digress. The goal of our church is not to be creative or cool or hip. A while back, there was a, a thing uh, that I got turned on to. It was kind of going around where a lot of the young, cool pastors in our world, in our 21st century American world, um, were doing this thing where they were wearing really expensive tennis shoes. And by the way, when I say young, cool pastors, all of a sudden you hit an age where you realize I am very clearly not in that group. I, and I understand that, right? I'm not in the young, cool, hip pastors group. But a lot of those guys were wearing these like really spending, I'm talking about like hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands of dollars, tennis shoes. And, and first of all, I was kind of offered to me and I thought to myself, I'm not doing that. A, I probably couldn't pull it off. But B, B, and more importantly, it's because it's not what our church is about. And hear me when I say this, I'm not tearing into those pastors. I make it a point not to make fun of or tear down other pastors. Why? It's hard to be a pastor. And I don't know their hearts. I don't know their motivations. Maybe in their context, really neat sneakers would help people relate and connect to the message and meet Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Maybe that's true for them. I just knew this. It wouldn't be true for me. It would start to mess with my motivations as a preacher. Friends, the goal of our church is not to be known for our innovation or creativity or coolness. We must, we must understand that the goal of our church is to lift up the name and message of Jesus Christ, his gospel. That is the good news. We must never forget it. Paul says here, remember how I came to you. Not with this really cool, eloquent message that was wrapped all in the nice packaging of today's wise philosophers. No, he says, I came to you with great fear and trembling. You notice those words right in the passage. Great fear and trembling. Those words in the Bible, friends, always tend to be not just about fear and trembling, but when they're packaged together, they tend to be about people who are saying, who am I to be used? Who am I to be sort of blessed with the mighty power of God. Who am I that God would pick me? I think of Moses and the burning bush when God says, I'm sending you to go back to Pharaoh to free my people. And fear and trembling, who am I? I, I think of the woman healed of bleeding in Mark chapter five, when she realized that Jesus had in fact healed her. 
It says she knelt before him with fear and trembling. In other words, who am I that you, Jesus, would do this for me? That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I came with the same attitude. I came with that posture. Who am I, God, that you would give me this amazing message? That must always be our posture. And some of you, some of you need to hear this. To be relevant and smart and winsome is not bad. That's the other side of this coin. To be smart and relevant and winsome is not bad. Paul is not saying the dorkier you are and the more bad you speak not well, that's when God will use you. No, not his message here. In fact, later in his letter, Paul will say this, in this very letter we're studying, he'll say, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. Paul is not saying be culturally irrelevant. Cultural relevance is a good thing. He's not saying be out of touch and disconnected from the people you are trying to share the message with. He's saying this, be real clear about your goal, your aim, the motives of your heart. Are you trying to impress people with yourselves or are you using every gift you have and all the intelligence and creativity you can muster to lead people to Jesus? That's the first thing from this section. Here's the second. Look again at verse four. I'm gonna get real clear on this. My message, Paul says, and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Friends, sometimes these verses get interpreted and misused to mean that if we can preach the gospel and do really cool spiritual stuff, then people will be impressed with Jesus. This is actually the exact opposite of what Paul is saying. He's saying, just like the gospel does not need really impressive worldly philosophies attached to it, we also don't need the gospel plus magic camp. No. This is not if you can preach the gospel and heal people. This is not if you can preach the gospel and walk on water. This is not if you can preach the gospel and pray people's problems away. Then people will come to faith. Now, does God heal people? He does sometimes. Does God use believers to do amazing things in the lives of other people in this world? He does. He certainly does. But in these verses, in these verses, what Paul means by a demonstration of the Spirit's power is that the Holy Spirit takes the simple message of the gospel delivered by a simple person and reveals it as truth in the human heart. That's the power of the Spirit. And this is Paul's point. This is what he's saying to you and me. You do not have to be impressive to be used by God. You do not have to be some great preacher or speaker. You do not have to be this fearless, confident Bible scholar for God to use you. You just have to have confidence in the simple, powerful message of the scriptures and of the gospel and that God will do what he always does. For some of you, this means stop so trying so hard to impress people. You don't need to. For others of you, this means even though you may think you're not impressive, 
Even though you don't feel smart or knowledgeable or winsome, you can have confidence in the simple message of the gospel. So get in the game because God wants to use you. He wants to use you. What is our message? Question one. It's a message about God's impressive wisdom and power. God's impressive wisdom and power. Question two. Why does the world not understand this message? Verse six. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Friends, let me break it down for you. In this section, Paul is saying the only way to have and understand and grasp God's wisdom is to receive that wisdom from God himself. He's saying, humanly speaking, we can't reason ourselves and think ourselves and philosophize ourselves into understanding God on our own because God is too far above us for that. It would be like two bugs coming together and trying to discuss and reason together human anatomy. They can't do it. They couldn't do it. They, they don't have the capacity to understand us. I mean, two beetles can't get together and say, you know, how do those guys make Teslas? Let's just figure it out. It's not going to happen. And this is Paul's point. We can't get to ultimate truth. We can't discover God, God-level wisdom on our own. Why? Because we're just humans. In verse 7, he says, We declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. That word mystery, it's a huge word in the New Testament. It simply means this, a secret which is impossible for man to penetrate. He's saying, how is God going to save? How is God going to rescue? How is God going to redeem this fallen world? For centuries, it was a mystery. It was hidden. No one knew. People obviously didn't get it because when God himself shows up on the scene, the rulers do what? They kill him. They crucify him. They obviously don't understand God because when he arrives, they hang him on a cross. In verse nine, Paul quotes Isaiah to remind us that the world doesn't have access to this godly wisdom. So it makes sense for them to rely on worldly wisdom. It makes sense for people of the world to rely on worldly wisdom. But you, he says, those of you who follow Jesus and have the Holy Spirit, verse 10, you've got wisdom from God. You've got spirit wisdom. And so what Paul is saying to us who are followers of Jesus is this. Grow up. He's saying, grow up. How many of you remember getting the grow up speech at some point when you were a teenager? Your parents are like, you're not a little kid anymore. Here's the behaviors we're seeing. You're still acting like you're eight, but now you're 15. It's time to grow up. You got to wear deodorant. I'm not talking once a week. Every day, it's becoming an issue. You ever get that talk, the grow up talk? Paul here is saying to the Christians in Corinth and maybe to the Christians in 21st century America, 
grow up. Grow up. It's why he uses the word in verse 6, mature. It's the Greek word teleos. It simply means full grown. He's saying the reason you are experiencing division, church, is because you are acting like children. You have the wisdom of God. It's been revealed to you by the Spirit of God. But you continue to discuss and debate and divide around the wisdom of this world. He says, you have access to a chainsaw, and yet you're trying to cut down oak trees with a butter knife. Wise up. Grow up. Listen to the Lord. Why does this world not understand? This world doesn't understand because they don't have spiritual wisdom. The Spirit has not revealed God's wisdom to them. But that's not true of us. The Spirit searches all things. Verse 10, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Here's the next question Paul's answering. How is it that we understand? How do we tap into godly wisdom, to godly truth? How do we not just lean on and rely on the wisdom of the world as followers of Jesus? Let me lay out Paul's train of thought here for you. Here's what he says. He says, you know yourself better than other people know you. He says, you know you better than other people know you. Sure, some of you are thinking already, well, my wife knows some things about me that other people don't know. That's true. It's true of my wife as well. Sometimes she has insights into my life. She sees things about me that I don't see in myself. This is also true of my, of my Christian buddies. They see things in me. They point out things in me that I might miss. This happens. This is the value of Christian community. But for the most part, 99.9% of the time, I know more about me than other people know about me. I know my true thoughts. I know my true feelings. I know my true motivations. I'm in touch with my fears and joys and hopes and insecurities. My spirit knows me more than you know me. And if I want you to get to know me deeply, I have to reveal some things about me to you. Paul says the same thing is true in our relationship with God. We really get to know him. We really get to understand his mind and heart and thoughts when his, when his spirit reveals him to us. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Verse 12 says, the world didn't tell us about God. God told us about God, and it was a gift. Notice the word received. Notice the words freely given. Not because we deserved it, but because he gave it. Here's Paul's message. If you are a follower of Jesus, godly wisdom is available to you, but it is only appropriated when you act in accordance with the Spirit and not in accordance with the flesh. When you rely on him, when you turn to him, when you trust in him, when you surrender to him, when you seek understanding, not on your own, but from him. That's when godly wisdom is given to you. 
Let me get real practical on this. One of the things happening in our world today, constantly, constantly, is that people, often Christians, will talk about various issues and subjects. And the way the conversation goes so much of the time is something like this. People will say, well, I'll tell you what I think, or I'll tell you what I believe about and insert, you know, any subject or controversial topic of the day of which there are plenty. But friends, the real question for a Christian is not what do I think or what do you think, but what does God think? What do the scriptures say? You see, there's a lot of worldly wisdom out there, a lot of different thoughts and ideas. And of course, the world is going to want to live there and discuss there and debate there because that's all they've got. But church, church of Jesus Christ, bride of Christ, people of God, we've been given something more. We have verse 13, words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. We have Scripture. We have the Holy Spirit in our minds and thoughts and hearts. And let me be real clear. I am not talking about something I so often see in the Christian world right now, especially on social media. I am not talking about finding a verse to slap on my opinion so that I can call it biblical. No, we've got to be better than that. We, we've got to be committed to digging into the scriptures to try and really and truly understand the heart and mind of God. Because friends, here's the truth. And it's the truth about me. And I think it's the truth about you. We are all tempted and I'd say very tempted, to let our affections drive our understanding. To let our affections drive our understanding. That means when I believe something or want to believe something or have a a tenderness towards a person or an issue or a perspective, I naturally look for facts to support what I already believe or want to believe. And as Christians, I see this happening so often with the Bible. So here's my challenge. Scratch that. Here's Paul's challenge. As much as we can, Cedar Mill Bible Church, and we need God's help, we lay down our opinions and say, God, show us your truth. We lay down our wisdom and say, instead, God, we want your wisdom. Question four, what should spiritual wisdom, what should understanding the words and thoughts and heart of God produce in us, in you and me? Here's what Paul says. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Friends, in this last section, it may seem a little confusing, but here's here's what Paul is saying. He's reminding the church that worldly wisdom and godly wisdom will not always agree. He's saying the world's not going to always agree with you. They're not going to be always excited about what you think and what you have to say as a follower of Jesus. Again, he uses that word foolishness. Last week, we discovered it's the word moron. 
At some point, they're going to think you are a moron. But verse 15 says this, don't let that impact you too much. Don't let that get you all worried and concerned. Don't get concerned about what the world has to say about a biblical gospel perspective on things. I love how Eugene Peterson translates uh, this verse in the message. He says, spiritually alive, we have access to everything God's spirit is doing and can't be judged by unspiritual critics. Now, as we close, let me offer a few practical applications to this section, this final section in this entire passage. One, some of you want to be really cool and you want the world to think you are rad and smart and wise and when they don't, you're bummed. I might be one of you. This passage says that to be a Jesus follower means that at some point, you are not going to be cool in the eyes of the world. At some point, they are going to disagree with you. They're going to think you're weird. They're going to think you're foolish. They are going to just flat out think you are wrong. So before you follow Jesus, before you seek what God wants, count the cost. It's not always the road towards cool. Second, this passage is not saying the more you disagree with the world, the more spiritual you are. We don't disagree as Christians just to disagree. The world thinks A, so as a Christian, I'll think B. The world feels C, so I think I'll feel D. No, this passage does not say that the world never gets it right. Sometimes the world gets it right. There is such a thing as the natural law. Non-believers can have and find truth in this world. So we're not supposed to just be contrarian on the other side of every issue from the people around us in culture. Too many Christians take this posture and it is not what the scriptures teach. Point three, this section is about wisdom from the spirit of God. And that means how we hold that wisdom, how we offer that wisdom, how we share that wisdom with the world will be in a spirit-filled way. It will be in a spirit-filled way. In other words, it will be marked by things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that will define who we are and how we offer wisdom and truth to the world, even when we disagree with the world, even when the world calls us foolish. Because the Spirit has given us the truth and the Spirit empowers us to offer that same truth. In fact, church, just this week, at some point this week, grab your Bible, get in a quiet spot, and read 1 Corinthians 13. I I know it's a passage we generally read at weddings and we think it's about love and marriage, but it's actually about Christian living in this world, Spirit-empowered Christian living. That's another point. Here's, Here's a final point. I believe the result of this chapter, this entire chapter two, should be two things. Great Christian confidence and great Christian caution. Great Christian confidence, one, that God has poured out his spirit in us to give us his wisdom. If his wisdom in you and me doesn't give us confidence, I do not know what what will. We should have confidence, friends, that we have been given power to understand the things of this world, to understand ourselves and our lives and our world, that we've been given God's 
insight. This should give us great confidence. But we should also, as a result of this passage, exercise great caution. Because like the Corinthian church, there is a temptation for you and there is a temptation for me to get arrogant and self-reliant. To very easily and subtly shift back into thinking that we are smart and wise and discerning on our own. And then we begin to rely on our own thinking instead of relying on the mind of Christ. Again, I love how Eugene Peterson translates verse 16, and I'll close with this. He says, Isaiah's question, is there anyone around who knows God's spirit? Anyone who knows what he's doing? That question's been answered. Christ knows, and we have Christ's spirit. Is there anyone around who knows God's spirit? Is there anyone who knows what he's doing, what God's up to, God's will, God's ways, God's thoughts? God's laws. Is there anyone who knows that? Christ knows. And we, as the body of Christ, have Christ's spirit. Church, may we never forget this. May we always rely on him, on his spirit, on his word, on his truth, and not rely on ourselves. That's my prayer. Pray with me as we close. Father, This morning, we ask that this passage would guide and lead us in this world as we discern between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom, as we ask your word and your spirit to show us your will and your ways and not just follow in the way and will will of the world. God, help us in that. Father, help us to be patient with people of the world when they want to talk about worldly wisdom, God. Help us to not be arrogant or condescending, Lord, but help us to be strong and confident and yet gracious and humble. Lord, may your spirit not only reveal truth to us, but help us to offer that truth in a way that represents you well in this world in which we live. That's our prayer, and we pray it together in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.